This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. My um, in-laws have um, just had a new shower installed, and it is fantastic. It's one of those ones with those gigantic heads, and you sort of get in, and you're like completely soaked the second you get in. And uh, just as I was uh, preparing this morning, I felt there's a sense in which God wants to do with that with us today. I think I felt it in worship. I don't know about you. I was loving it. I'm... I'm really super excited and pumped, so I'm re- we're going to pray that I don't just go mental, um, and that God comes and does just soak us with his love and his presence. God, Jesus, we love you. We love everything about you, Lord, and we don't love you because... Uh, we love you because you loved us first. We love you because you came after us, because you pursued us, because you are so wonderful and beautiful, and we want to experience more of that this morning. Amen. So um, some of you will know I've spent most of this week in Birmingham Children's Hospital. My daughter's had an operation on um, the back of her, uh, the bottom bit of her brain just here. And um, she's doing really well. So thank you for everyone who prayed and all your messages. She's still in uh, some pain, uh, but we're hoping she'll come out sometime uh, next week. Um, It struck me being in hospital that it, it can be a really lonely time for the people in hospital And the families of those, there was a little baby next to us who was less than a year, who'd had, it was all, as a neurosurgery ward, so they'd all had brain surgery. And um, in the three days I was there, his mum and dad only came in for two hours, which seems sad to me. And I don't know what's going on with their lives and why they made that decision, but uh, that happened. And there was a boy on the bed opposite us, and uh, his um, mum and dad had obviously split up at some stage before he'd come into hospital, and it was awful. He played lovely with his dad and cried when his dad left and then wouldn't speak to his mum when she came in. And then when they were there together, they did nothing but bicker. And he thought, wow, that's sad. That's, this shouldn't be a time when that happens. Um, there was a lovely Asian baby, the cutest baby ever, um, and her mum was there the whole time. And every so often, these huge groups of Asians would come in and they'd all be lovely and family, and it seemed wonderful. And uh, we, I've got to admit, we felt so loved by you guys. It was just great to have so many messages, so much prayer. It, it was fantastic. But um, I was reading in the Independence yesterday, loneliness is a real big problem uh, in our nation. Um, the article was entitled, The Loneliness Epidemic. We're more connected than ever, but we are feeling more alone. And the article started like this. Modern life is making us lonelier. The recent research indicates that, the, uh, where, uh, that this may be... Let me start again. This may be the next biggest public health issue on a par with obesity and substance abuse. A recent review, studies indicate that loneliness increases mortality by 26%. Loneliness is an increasing problem in modern life. 
The Church Urban Fund and the Church of England found a rise of 10% in the last three years in clergy members who felt the social isolation was a major problem in their local areas. Another survey by the Mental Health Foundation found that in the UK, one in 10 of us feel lonely often, and 48% of people think we are getting lonelier in general. Britain has even been voted the loneliness capital of Europe. That's sad, isn't it? That's sad that that happens in our nation. Um, It's something like 48% of um, 25 to 35-year-olds who who say they've got no friends. No friends. It's it's sad. And um, we we, um, live uh, our lives on islands. Um, And um, there's a thing in... um, there's a thing in, um, in, in marriage counselling where they talk about living on islands. And it is true, our lives are an island. We can't get away from that. We, we, we can't get people right inside our heads. Uh, we live our life on an island. And, and relationships, and, and, and that is all about building bridges between other people. It's about saying, come onto my island and know me. And I'll come onto your island and know you. And, and where marriage counselling comes in is that it, it, it helps people to, uh, to get rid of all those preconceptions they have about one another and, and, and get rid of all of that um, insecurity we all feel. And uh, we often judge others through the insecurities we feel. We think, oh, that person said that, that must mean this. Whereas if we could get on their island, we would know that's not what they meant at all. And, and, and we do the same to other people. We say things, why were they offended? What did I, I don't know. But because we judge most situations through our own lens of our own insecurities and building relationships is about building bridges and inviting people onto our island to understand how we really feel about them and for them to do the same for us. The passage Sophie read is God's great invitation to us to come onto his island. We can often approach God with that same sense that we view him through the lens of our own insecurities and our own preconceptions. We know what we're like inside. We, we know uh, the sorts of people we are. And uh, we're going to look at a couple in the Bible, a guy called Hosea who wrote this book, and his wife called Goma, and we're going to see what that says about us. But when we do that, I just want you to put aside your preconceptions of God and your personal insecurities and come on board God's island. Leave them all behind on your island, cross over and be on his island and hear what he has to say about you. You will, at the beginning, feel old insecurities rise, but hopefully by the end you will hear God's voice for you. So we have this couple... Hosea. Hosea got called by God to um, preach the word, to, uh, to, to bring prophetic stuff. Uh, he was a sort of vicar, 2000, whatever it is, 4,000 years ago. And um, he, um, he got called. And then God, this is the first thing God said to him. This is a call that none of us ever want. He said, this is in verse 2 of uh, chapter 1. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. That's a weird call, right? It's kind of pretty woman 4,000 years ago. God says, go and marry that woman. She is a poor character. She is not a good woman. Let's get Goma is a bad person. 
This is the person he marries. She is bad. She's sleeping around. She's probably doing it for money. She certainly do it as part of religious festivals. She's not a good woman. And God says, see her. Go and marry her. And Hosea uh, probably couldn't grasp why on earth God would ask him to do that, except that God says, it's, it's the same relationship as I have with Israel. And what we'll see is this book has layers. And he says, it's the same relationship I have with, with Israel. And we, if you've read the Bible, you know that that God relationship with Israel reflects Jesus' relationship with me and you. So it's interesting. Don't let the insecurities come yet. And so he marries her, and, and, and everything transforms, and she's wonderful. No. He marries her. He, he, he would have, there would have been social, um, it would have been terrible for him. People would have laughed at him, made fun of him. It was a ridiculous thing to do. If one of your mates said, I'm marrying a prostitute, you'd be like, dude, don't think it's the best plan. Uh, but she, he was like, nope, that's where I'm going with it. And um, they get married, and he, there's no, he's a good husband. He gives her all the stuff she needs. He, he loves her. He looks after her. And she, she decides she can't live like that. She has to go back to her life of prostitution. So she continues living with him, going to parties, sleeping with men for money or gifts or whatever. And she starts having children. And we don't know in the Bible whose children these babies are. Uh, but God says, call them Jezreel. It's the first baby that's born. Now, Jezreel is the um, name of a massacre in Israeli history. It's kind of like being Jewish and calling your kid Auschwitz, or Japanese and calling your kid Hiroshima. It's a weird name to call a kid, and it would have been horrible for that child. So, but you think Jezreel's done badly. He has another baby who he calls not my people. That's why I'm suggesting maybe they aren't his kids. He calls her the next child, not my people. Now that's pretty grim name. But if you'd have met not my people, you'd say, man, your dad's harsh. You'd think, I've done badly. My baby brother's called unloved. And he called these kids these things. And we know, and it reflects God's feeling about Israel. See, at the time, Israel had taken on other gods. They were doing all sorts of things that they knew they shouldn't. God had called them out of Egypt. He'd done remarkable things for them. He'd transformed their lives. If they could have just kept it together for a few generations, they would have been the most powerful nation on earth. And yet they couldn't just keep loving a God who had done nothing but love them. They kept going off with other, ba- other Baals, as they're called, other, these other gods. And so God is saying... You rem- your fruit, the fruit of your life, is massacre, is death, is destruction, is these terrible things. The fruit of your life is not something that I can call mine. I can't call the fruit of your life my people. And I can't call what you do something that I love. And so he says, Hosea, call your kids this. Because that's how I feel about Israel. And many of us, know that those things are within us. And you might say, well, hang on, you're just telling me how God feels about me. That's all my preconceptions there. That's what I thought God felt, that I was rubbish and he's brilliant. But actually, we know that somewhere deep inside, there's something in us that isn't great. Uh, Dylan was doing some homework where you had to envisage what the future would be like. And one of the things he said, that we'll be able to send text messages using our mind. That it would just come straight out, what we were thinking. 
I thought that's got to be the worst invention ever. I don't want anyone to know everything I think, right? Uh, There's a book, a great book, called The Knife of Never Letting Go, and this is their synopsis. Uh, It says, um, Todd Hewitt is the last boy in Prentistown, but Prentistown isn't like other towns. Everyone can hear everyone else's thoughts in a constant, overwhelming, never-ending noise. There is no privacy. There are no secrets. (laughs) That's a horrible idea, isn't it? We know that somehow within us, it isn't pretty. It's not nice. And we fear other people knowing that. Where I am on my screen. Sorry. A guy called um, Frederick Buchner said this, I have come to believe that by and large the human family all has the same secrets, which are both very telling in the sense that they tell what is perhaps the central paradox of our condition. That what we hunger for, perhaps more than anything else, is to be known in our full humanness. And yet, that is often just what we also fear more than anything else. Let me read that again. What we hunger for, perhaps more than anything else, is to be known in our full humanness. And yet, that is often just what we also fear more than anything else. And we know that, don't we? We know that if people knew everything you'd thought and done and said and... and you. Your life will be a mess. It will be difficult, right, to live your life. One of the wonderful things about Jesus is that he's already there. He already sees right inside. He already sees all those things that nobody, you don't want anyone else to know. He knows every thought you've thought, every thought you will think. He knows every horrible thing you've said in private, every awful thing you've done to people who love you. He knows all of that. So we don't need to worry (laughs) about revealing that to him. He's there. He's got it. He knows all that stuff. Okay? So what he now says to you is astonishing. Did I write it on my... I didn't write it on my notes. I just read it off the screen. Sorry. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. In light of all of that, in light of all that um, Hosea knows about Gomer, in light of all that God feels about Israel, in all the light of what Jesus knows about you, he says this, therefore. There's a therefore, and it's a weird therefore. Because normally we say, this person is so lovely, therefore. Or, I am so great, therefore. But Jesus says, and if we read back through the last verses, Jesus has said, we're going to send her out into the wilderness. I'm going to, God has said that Goma should, should go out into the wilderness. She should be t- taken over to her lovers and all this stuff that you would feel. If, if Goma had done that to you, you would feel furious. But God says, Jesus says, therefore, I will allure her. And he said, great, therefore, a guy, Jeremiah Burroughs, who... Um, who's written some fantastic sermons on this, said this. Listen, you saints, listen, I say. This is a great blessing of God to you. This is the glorious covenant of grace. Whereas otherwise, your sins should have made you objects of hatred. 
They have now rendered you objects of his pity and compassion. Whereas otherwise your sins should have made you objects of hatred, they now render you objects of his pity and compassion. It is because you are poor and weak and lonely that God sees you and desires to love you. He does not see you as you project yourself. He sees you as you are in your unloveliness in the reality of who you are, and it fills his heart with passion. It's the great, therefore. Paul, who writes much later than this, says, where sins increase, God's grace increases all the more. In other words, the more depraved you are, this is shocking, the more depraved you are, the more his heart bursts for you. That's astonishing. He is an amazing God. And I'm so pleased he's like that because I'd be a bit stuffed otherwise. Um, there's a guy, there's a book called A Picture of Dorian Gray, written by Oscar Wilde. And um, Dorian Gray has a, is beautiful and young and wealthy on the outside. But in reality, somewhere in his massive house, there is a painting of what he really looks like. He's been along live for hundreds of years. And all the sins and depravity of his life is reflected in this painting which is covered up somewhere in the attic of his life. And we are like that. We cover that depravity because we're ashamed of it and it makes us terribly, terribly lonely. But the truth is Jesus sees that painting and says, I love that. In all its terribleness, I love that because I want to show it grace and mercy. So God starts his plan which I'm calling the great seduction. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. God comes after you. I don't know if you thought you made a decision for Jesus, but it was a kind of one-sided decision because he had been coming after you since the beginning of time. He saw you before the world was created and he set his heart and passion on you. He seduced you. He chose you. He made you alive to him. He came and died for you. He rose again for you. He prays for you. It is entirely his seduction. Nothing we bring to God is about our choice. It is all about him wanting you, desiring you, seducing you. And you might say, it's a bit of a seduction, it's a bit of a sexy way to look at it but actually that is the way we're supposed to look at it that's what Hosea is saying he's saying there's my wife and she's gone after all those men but I love her and I'm going after her in all her depravity and I will have her maybe you're haven't crossed that line of faith maybe you don't know Jesus but maybe you felt him calling you pulling you towards him maybe the circumstances of your life have come together in a weird way to bring you here today. I mean, most of us who are Christians would say that's happened to us. You know, I'm not really a Christian because I made a decision to. I'm a Christian because Jesus just won't leave me alone. Yeah, he won't let me go. And what he really desires is great intimacy. He says, I will take her to the wilderness... Now, the wilderness in the Bible has two connotations. One is suffering, 
And one is intimacy. And we're going to pick up maybe a bit on suffering next week. But what Jesus wants is intimacy. You see, in our wedding service at this time, there would have been the service bit. And then instead of photos and stuff, the bride and groom went off into the wilderness, consummated the marriage, and then came back for the party. So what he's saying is, I'm going to take you into the wilderness. I want proper, big-time intimacy with you. One of the things I love about this, and one of the things that's occurred to me as I was preaching, those two islands, we can never live on someone else's island. Well, you guys have been married. I'm sure you've got closer and closer, but you're still here on your island, and and he's still here on his island. And you can communicate, and you can go, but you still do your own things. You still are your own people. You still don't think 100% in sync. But Jesus can just come down and live on your island. That's the astonishingness of the intimacy he wants with you, to live with you every moment of every day, to feel the pain you feel, to feel the joy you feel. This is an astonishing level of intimacy. And it's when we press into Jesus that that loneliness goes. You know, there's people who have been in prison for their faith for many years and they still don't feel lonely because he's there with them. The guy who knows them so well, who has seduced them, who is desiring intimacy with us. And when Tom said about what is God's plan for you, I don't know what his individual plan for you is in this life, but in eternity, that's it. He wants to know you and he wants you to know him. The Apostle Paul says, I I run the race to take hold of that for which Christ has called me heavenwards. It's intimacy. It's knowing God is what God has called him to run the race, to give up everything else. It's amazing. To the lonely, it is good news. He says, um, and we all desire this, in the words of one of our great poets, Romeo, take me somewhere we can be alone. I'll be waiting. All there's left to do is run. You'll be the prince. I'll be the princess. It's a love story, baby. Just say yes. It's the great Taylor Swift. Um, But it is. That's what we want. And that's what God says. I'll be Romeo. You be Juliet, Jesus says. Come on. Let's go. Let's be alone. It's my love story, baby. Just say yes. He loves you so remarkably and astonishingly much. He just wants to be with you every minute of every day. He says, I'm going to speak tenderly to her. I'm going to say great things to her. I don't know what, I don't know what Hosea said to Goma. I don't know. He must have gone to her brothel and said, you know what? Let me start seducing you. Let me allure you. Come on, I'm going to say some great things. But we do know what Jesus says to us. He says, he says Innes, I knit you together in your mother's womb. He says, Andy, I've seated you with me in heavenly places. Andy, he says, you're a priest of the new covenant. He says wonderful things to us. He says to Stan, I gave my life for you. I love you more than anything. He says great things to us. And I'm just a little aside, but get into reading the Bible. Because it's all in there. 
Yeah? You want to have someone sing a love song to you, it's in the Bible. Honestly, it's a great book. If you've never read it, it's a real good book. And just Jesus' utter passion for his people flows through it. There's so much in it. And I just want to, I know some of you say, oh, I don't know, it's hard, the Bible and all that. And it is. This series is really good. Um, It's called Straight to the Heart. It's by a guy called um, Phil Moore. Um, And it's just helped me so much. It's about three or four pages a day. And it gives you real insight into the passage. But also, just the passion and love of Jesus will come through. So try and grab some copies of those uh, online. They're great. Really help you. Probably 10 minutes of your day. And you just feel, oh, Jesus loves me. It's awesome. And then the uh, final point I want to make, there's so much in this passage. I could have preached, honestly, this morning, I preached to myself for an hour and a quarter. I've cut quite a lot. You'll be pleased to know. Um, And uh, there's just so much. I encourage you to read these verses again. Um, But he goes on to say, In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me master. I will remove the names of the Baals from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. Now, the Baals were um, kind of the gods they worshipped. There's the Baal was the name of a particular god, but it's also the plural for all of the other gods. And Baal literally means master. So it's a little clever play on words of, on Hosea's part. He's saying, you don't, you don't have to call God's master anymore. Um, and uh, you think, I don't know, do we? And uh, I was just thinking in one particular area where we do seem to, in relationships, drift into this idea of someone being the master and someone being dominant and someone being submissive. And I was uh, reading some uh, funny stuff online about Fifty Shades of Grey where uh, E.L. James did a um, Twitter conversation and lots of people said very amusing things like, which do you hate most, women or the English language? Quite a nice <laughs> question asked for E.L. James. But the concept behind the book Fifty Shades of Grey is that there is a rich guy who's good-looking, and he makes a young girl sign a contract that she will be his sex slave. This is the most popular book in the whole world. Millions of women are reading this, presumably because they want Christian Grey. And he's an awful man who says, call me master, call me Baal. Yeah, and and, um, I was going to quote some uh, lyrics from a rap song. Um, I was rap. I wasn't going to rap them, dude. I'm certainly not. I'm not even going to quote them. It was um, from Blurred Lines by Robin Thicke and Pharrell Williams. And I, literally, I was going to quote some lines, but I can't. They are so horribly derogatory. But in that song, this is, again, one of the most popular songs of last year. Um, by, uh, and Pharrell sings the nice, you know, happy song. Uh, but the words in, some of the words were, he described them as bitches, whores, and he says, they're gonna, they're, they, there's three of them, they're going to smack her ass and pull her hair so she'll respect them as pimps. Ugh, it's horrible, isn't it? But there's millions of young women who think that is the relationship I want. Why? I've no idea. But they say, call me master, call me Baal, call me pimp. And it's probably no better the other way round. Um, I, I worked for a company uh, called Mars, and we used to go on sales... Uh, we used to go on a night out once a month. And those nights out always ended in a strip club. I'd obviously say, I'm going home, I'm not going to the strip club, I'm going back to the room. And every week they try and convince me. And uh, one of their, one time, one of them said, 
Look, you're not using them. If anything, they're using you. I think that's a terrible argument and also probably true. Men give their lives to the pursuit of pornography and sex and those women, it's a horrible thing because the men have mastery over them and the women have mastery over the men. But we give ourselves to that in relationships. And what is astonishing about what Jesus says in this is there is only one person in the whole universe who can say to you, call me master. Only one person who can say, call me Lord. Yeah, and it isn't wrong to call Jesus Lord because we know that from the rest of the Bible. But that's not what he wants. Astonishingly, he says, call me husband. He says, I've done everything. I've come after you. I've allured you. All that you've done in the past, I've just written off. Now call me husband. What does that mean? It means don't obey me, love me. That's amazing. God says to you, there are no more rules. I am not, don't call me master, call me husband. That's shocking, isn't it? Shocking how much he loves you. He wants to know you. He wants to be intimate with you. The uh, chapter 3 of Hosea, we see Hosea's response to Gomer. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord uh, loves the Israelites. Though they turn to their gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. They must have been good raisin cakes. (laughs) So I brought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a leketh of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me for many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man and I will behave the same way to you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred um, stones, without ephod or household gods. Afterwards, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to be a blessing in the last days. That's an interesting thing that he said. Don't sleep with anyone because it's going to be the same as Israel. And what God's saying is it's going to be a long period of time where you don't get any of me because we're waiting for a new king. We're waiting for the true and better king, the true and better David he is going to be revealed, and the Israelites lived for 400 years with none of nothing. No prophecies, no presence of God, nothing. They lived for this long period of time while they waited for God to move, while they waited for the true and better Hosea to reveal himself. And we see that in Jesus' life, it is proof of all that it says in the Bible. Uh, in Romans, it says... Uh, No man will die for a righteous man, for a good man. Some might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still his enemies, he died for us. If you want proof of Jesus' words, it's there. It's in the cross. The true and better David came into the world. The great therefore His life says, therefore, even though I've seen all this sin and depravity, I will lay down my life for you. I will die on a cross in your place. It's that great seduction of Jesus as he shows his great mercy for you, as he pays so much more than 15 shekels of silver and a lethek of barley, whatever that is. He pays with his life to redeem you, to buy you back from your sin and 
depravity. To win you for intimacy. So that he might know you. He couldn't have known you before he died on the cross. Before he rose again. Before he was seated in heavenly places. And now he can know you. He can be with you, which has been his desire forever and ever. And he can speak words into your life of love and mercy and grace. And he will do forever and ever and ever. And you can call him husband. And you will be known deep in your soul. And the loneliness can be gone because Jesus can fill that place. And that is his desire. And that's what he wants for you. And as he says, come on to my island... He says, I love you. That's what he wants you to know. He loves you. He really does love you. We're going to um, break bread now. We're going to um, we break bread to worship what Jesus has done for us, to praise him, to be a part of that. Um, and as you come up for uh, bread uh, and wine, if you want to be prayed for about anything, if you think, oh man, I'm so lonely, I'm so finding it so hard. And I know Christians find life hard and feel lonely. That happens. Um, or if you think, actually, do you know what? I've never made that decision to follow Jesus. Today's your day. He really does love you. Put aside your insecurities and your preconceptions and come and accept him. So if you want to be prayed for, please just stay at the front. Um, uh, we're just going to spend some time praising and worshipping him and enjoying his presence. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.